Good morning, everyone. Man, it's good to see you guys here. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and we are so glad that you are here. I want to speak to you very plainly for just a minute. Uh, the songs that we sang today so clearly illustrate what we believe about, about Jesus. We believe that Jesus makes all the difference in the world. We believe that. And so if you're here today and you have fears and questions, uh, things that you're wondering about whether or not God can change and whether or not God is in them, I want you to know he is absolutely in them. And that is a, a really a lot of our makeup here at Bridgewater, okay? We believe very firmly that God is going to show up. Sorry, that was my fault. <laughs> not, that wasn't God. That was, that was me. We believe very, very much so that God is going to show up. He's going to show up in your life. He's going to change things. But we also believe that every single believer, like if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we believe that every single believer has a purpose, and that purpose is to impact other people with the truth of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's why we're here. Okay? We're not just here to, to put on you know, nice, nice shows or whatever, or to hold church services. We are here to equip you to impact your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your family members, your children with the good news that Jesus is alive and that he wants to change lives. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about our vision and our mission and we have an exciting opportunity here today. Well, actually a couple of them. Today's going to be a fun day. So I hope you'll just buckle up and have fun with us. Who has gone out from this church to make a difference in another part of the world? Ruth Rising, one of our missionaries, is here with us today. Would you guys give her a round of applause as she comes on up? Come on over, Ruth. I'm going to give this to you so it doesn't uh, give us feedback when I'm talking. Okay. Hi, Ruth. Hi. Hey, so before I, um, you know, have you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing, I want to just take a minute and emphasize something, okay? Um, I don't know if that's me. Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay. Um, missions for us here at Bridgewater is not just something that we do overseas. It's everything that we do. It's everything that we do here. It's helping our neighbors, helping people know Jesus. But you're an extension of that. You're an incredible extension of that out of Bridgewater, and you're doing that with Bethesda. So tell us a little bit about what you do, if you would, and who you are. Um, well, my name is Ruth, and I am very local. I grew up in this area. But I'm a missionary in South Africa with Bethesda Outreach Ministries, and it's a children's village uh, that takes children that have been orphaned or who are vulnerable in some way and need foster care. And we place them into homes with Christian married African parents. Uh, we also have a school that goes from our uh, grade kindergarten through grade seven um, with about 250 kids. And then we also offer resources and training to others and other churches that are in, interested in childcare kind of ministries. So my role in that is a variety of things. I help with visitors, I help with finance, I help with um, the public relations and the communications, the website, and the, uh, all kinds of little stuff. I mainly sit behind a computer, 
but then I also do photography and a number of other things. So I'm kind of all over the place, really. Sounds like Sounds like you're pretty busy, uh, yeah. So as you know, at, at Bridgewater here, we support Ruth every single month. And as we do that, what's happening is God is using you and her and others to impact lives on another part of the world. That's, that's pretty exciting, amen? Oh, come on, you guys can be more lively than that, man. Yes, it's exciting, I'm excited. Um, tell us a little bit about how we can pray for you and how we can continue just to support you in your ministry there. You can pray for us to have wisdom. Um, our house parents and our, our house parents are tired. They're very busy. They have six to eight kids in their homes. Yeah, yeah as you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the majority, right now, about 50% of our kids are grade nine and older. So having... 20 to 30 kids on one property that are all teenagers and not necessarily saved is complicated. Um, it's complicated to have one or two in your home, um, but to have a whole pile, our parents are, are tired, our kids need to be saved, um, they need to see vibrant, faithful Christian living, uh, which is up to us to, to portray. We are children of God and we need to live like that and live in a way that is also attractive. Um, and just wisdom to be able to speak into their lives when we have absolutely the opportunity. So there's so many things to pray for, but pray for our parents, pray for our kids. Awesome. So uh, Ruth is going to be with us for the day. So please, uh, when, we, when we close the service today, you'll notice she has a table right out in the back. Please go and, and speak with Ruth. Also, I assume you have some things that we can take to remind us to be praying for you, right? You know, I love what you just shared that there are that that many of these children need to know Jesus. And so that is something that we can be praying for and praying for strength for the parents. OK, if you don't mind, I'd like to just take a minute and pray for you and for the ministry there. OK, Father God, I just want to thank you so much for Ruth. I thank you that you have you've saved her and raised her up out of out of this, you know, local area. And you've burdened her to make a difference in another part of the world. God, I pray that, that you would provide the needs for um, what's going on at Bethesda. I pray, God, that you would bring many of these children to come to know Jesus, that you would open up their hearts and their eyes and convict them of their sin and their need for, for a Savior, for forgiveness. We do pray for strength for Ruth and for the house parents. And, God, we pray that your full power and your capability would be on display so that we would just be able to point and say, look at what God has done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ruth. We are so glad that you're here. Appreciate it. So please make sure and go and uh, talk with Ruth when we're done. I'd love for you guys to know a little bit more about what's going on there at Bethesda Children's Home, okay? Now, we've been, we've been walking through a series that's designed to uh, equip you to know what the mission and vision of Bridgewater is. And we've also been talking about some of our values. And this week we're going to continue that. Last week we started talking about how we believe very much so that everyone has a next step. And we dialed in specifically on baptism. This week we're going to continue talking about the idea that everyone, every believe, whether you're a believer or not, everyone has a next step step, but we're going to go in a little different direction, and I want to introduce you to someone. Her name is Grandma Weir. Let me show you a picture. That's 
Aaron many years ago in the center. I don't know what was going on with the dirty mustache. I'm really sorry. But this is my dad, and this is my grandma, and this is my great-grandma Weir. And she is holding my 14-year-old, who you cannot hold like that anymore. My great-grandma Weir lived to be 98 years old. She was, she was born uh, in 1914. And so you can imagine what my great-grandma Weir lived through. She lived through the Great Depression. She lived through the, 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 the crash, of, uh, you know, a global stock market crash. She lived through World War I and World War II and Vietnam and Korea and so on. She lived through it all. My great-grandma Weir had some interesting uh, peculiarities about her. Since she lived through all of those things, life taught her some lessons, some really important lessons you can imagine. You can imagine what it, what it was like. I, I don't, I, looking around, there's no one here who lived through the Great Depression, okay? But you can imagine what it was like to live through the Great Depression. It changed you. It changed the way you processed things. And my grandmother took all of that in, and it would have been very easy for her to just take that in and live her own way, but she didn't do that. She took it in, and she then passed it on because she realized at some point somebody would need to know, right? So I remember a, a distinct time when my great-grandmother took us to, uh, took me to McDonald's, Right? We went to McDonald's, and they had this sale going on where if you bought one uh, Big Mac, you got an extra Big Mac as well, right? So my great-grandmother took me to McDonald's thinking, of course, I would order a Big Mac because you get two for the price of one, except I didn't like Big Macs. You can see where this is going. It didn't work very well because she got really upset. I wanted chicken nuggets, you know? I love me some nugs. It's just the way it is. I didn't want a Big Mac, but she said, no, you're going to have a Big Mac, and we're getting an extra Big Mac as well. I said, why do, why do I want an extra Big Mac? I'm not going to eat it. And here's why. We sat there. We got the two Big Macs, and my great-grandmother then opened up her purse. She pulled out a little baggie. She pulled out a little kerchief, wrapped, took the Big Mac out of the box it was in, wrapped it in a kerchief, and put it in her baggie and put it back in her purse. And she said, I'm going to eat that later. And I was mortified. Like, what did you just do? She was teaching me the value of, of, of food she was passing it on and showing me that you don't waste these things because in reality, you never know when something could change. I remember growing up when we would do Christmas and birthdays, she would make sure that you unwrapped the wrapping paper so that it didn't tear. Do you know why? So you could reuse it. Why, why was she doing that? She had learned some things. And she understood the value, and she wanted to pass it on. Now, that's not the only thing my great-grandmother Weir did. 
She taught Sunday school until she was 95 years old. Can you imagine that? 95 years old. She would go out walking every morning in the middle of snowstorms, be picking up trash uh, along the, the roads in the town that I grew up in. Why did she do all of this? She did it because she knew it was right, first and foremost, but because she wanted to have an impact. And my great-grandmother Weir taught me a number of things, but the greatest thing she taught me was this. She taught me how to have an impact on others, to pay attention, to talk, to teach, to be willing to have good conversations. And she had a significant impact on me. She had a significant impact on our family because she knew how to help others grow. She knew how to help other people take their next step. So when we think about the idea of everyone having a next step, I want to wrestle with a question that goes a little bit different direction today, one that my great-grandmother taught me. It's this. Is your next step to help someone else? take their next step. What if your next step is not just about you? Like here in a little bit, we're going to see somebody go public with their faith. Audrey's going to go public and she's going to take her next step and she's, she's going to publicly proclaim that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and she is going to do that right here. But what if after today, her next step is to help somebody else? And what if each one of you sitting here, your next step is to help somebody else take their next step. Here's the interesting thing. The scripture actually calls you to that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Did you know that? There's a whole section of the New Testament called the pastoral epistles. Um, big words to describe letters written to a couple of very young pastors, okay? One of them, his name was Timothy, another, his name was Titus, and, and a man named Paul who had trained them, who had invested in them, took the time to teach them what it would look like to be a pastor. He wrote them these letters just so they could, you know, pour into other people. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul calls Timothy to take somebody else under his wing and to teach him the ropes. And in the same way, he calls you and I to bring somebody else under our wings and to teach them the ropes about following Jesus. Look at what Paul says to Timothy. He says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. In fact, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up there, or you can see it up here on the screen. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writing to Timothy, he says this, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Now, this is really important because Paul was sitting in a prison cell. In fact, this is the last letter that Paul would ever write. Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And shortly after this, probably about A.D. 58-59, Paul would die for his faith at the hands of Nero. Because he was unwilling to turn away from teaching about Jesus. So he writes to his protege, and he knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to not be able to help Timothy anymore. And so he tells him, 
listen, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I love this because so often I want to tell people, hey, be strong. But the issue is not you and I being strong. The issue is you and I learning to rely on Jesus. The issue is you and I learning to trust that God has a plan and that God is at work. And I realize it that week in and week out you come in here and there's been things going on in your lives that have been hard. And you're wondering, what in the world is God up to? I have those things too. But the first thing Paul calls us to do is to trust God, rely on God, rely on his grace. He's never let you down yet. Rely on. And then he goes on and he says this, and the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So really there's two things that Paul's calling us to in this text. First and foremost, like I said, he's calling us to rely on Jesus. And secondly, he's calling us to relay what you know to others. Those are the two things he's calling us to do, to rely on Jesus and to relay what you know to others. So, here's what I know about me. My next step is to realize that if I'm going to have an impact on others, I've got to invest in other people. If I'm going to have an impact beyond my life, Beyond the here and now, I've got to pour into others. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, Paul wrestles with three questions, and he gives three, really, three answers to these questions in the text, and I'm just going to walk you through them. The first question is this, who should you invest in? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it might be easy to go, well, who in the world should I invest in? What, what's going on in my life? Well, go back to verse 2. Look at what it says. It says this, and the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people. If you and I are going to have an impact beyond us, we need to start watching for people who are reliable, who are faithful, people who have a, a, a spiritual hunger, people who are ready to go and make a difference. And if you are seeing people like that in your life, then that's who you need to invest in. If you're sitting here today and you're going, I don't know anybody like that, maybe the question for you to ask is, am I like that? Am I hungry? Am I faithful? Am I reliable? And then maybe somebody can take you under their wing so that you can continue to have an impact. You know, reliable people, as I said, are people who show faithfulness and they show potential. Who do you see in your life who has potential? Who's in your small group? If you're not in a small group, get in a small group and start watching for people who have potential so that you can share and pour into them. Look at your children and what God is doing in their lives. Look at the people who are at work. Look at the people who are around you and start asking, God, what are you doing? Who's in my life that maybe I could start praying for and asking them how I can pray for them and and sharing what God's doing in my life so that I can have an impact beyond me. Recently, my wife and I 
have been meeting a lot of people here. You, you know that we're, we're new, and so we're getting to know you. We've been going out and sharing meals with people, and as we've been doing so, here's what we're finding. We are finding people who are hungry, people who want somebody to pour into them. Even, even last night, I had somebody tell me, hey, we're all in. We want to be available. We just don't know what's needed. So could you just tell us what's needed? Those are the kind of people that you want to pour into and invest in. Who in your life is in that place? Are you a parent? If you're a parent, you might say, well, my kids aren't really reliable. No, I get that. <laughs> I, I, I get that. But you're training them to be. You can pour into them and teach them the truths of God's word so that they will be able to grow up and be reliable. So question number one, who should you invest in? The text tells us, entrust it to reliable people. Question number two, what should you say? Well, look at what the text says. It says in verse 2, And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. The things that you're hearing. So what, what Paul was saying to Timothy, you've been around as I've been teaching you. I've been teaching you the foundations of God's word. I've been teaching you the truth of the gospel. The things that you have already learned, pass those on to somebody else. Which begs the question, what are you learning in God's word? What's he teaching you? One of the things I'm learning to do right now is when I study the, the word for myself in the morning, um, to, to write a few of those things down on a piece of paper and to leave it for my oldest son and say, hey, son, look at these verses. Would you walk through these? And then we have a couple of questions to interact with, you know. I wonder what would happen if when you leave here on Sunday, you'd take one thing with you and you'd say, hmm, I'm going to pass that on to somebody else. If you take one verse and just have a conversation about it, I wonder what would happen. You see, all you need to be is one more step ahead of the person that you're talking to. All you need is one day's learning. That's all you need. And then you can talk about it and have a discussion about it. I get it. Parents, sometimes we're overwhelmed to talk to our kids. We're scared. We wonder whether or not we'll have the right things to say. We, we're, we're scared to talk to people at work. We're, we're nervous about having these conversations. But all you need is one truth. Have a conversation about it. And then watch God work. That's all it takes. So my question for you is this. What are you learning? If you're at a place in your life where you say, I'm not really studying God's word, and I have good news. We have some tools right out at the, at the Welcome Center for you. We have the on-track devotionals. Take one, grab it, go home, and start using it so you can be in God's word, and then you're going to be able to help someone else take their next step. And then you're going to be able to be up here helping baptize somebody else, right? I believe that that's what God will do. Look at, the, 
at the end of that verse 2. It says this. And the things that you've heard of me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to rely on rival people who will be also be qualified to teach others. What are they teaching others to do? What are we teaching others to do? We are teaching others how to obey God. Just like we talked about last week in Matthew 28. At the end, right as Jesus ascended back to heaven, Matthew 28, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, uh, he, he said, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always until the end, the very end of the age. That's what Jesus said. So what are we teaching? We're teaching people to obey God's word and to do what he says. We're holding one another accountable. I had a friend in, in college. His name was Jason. And Jason had this knack for asking me the hard questions. You ever had friends like that? He had a knack for just pulling me aside and saying, Aaron, how's this going on in your life? And, and how's, how's things going in this part of your life? And it was usually the thing that I didn't want to talk about, right? You see, the things that we don't want to talk about are probably the things that we need to talk about. The relationships, the, the things going on are probably the things we need to talk about. Why? Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to teach people to obey God's word and to follow Christ. And that takes accountability. Who can you ask those questions? So, question number one, who should I be talking to? Question number two, what do I talk to them about? And question number three, how do I approach it? Well, the text tells us. But the first thing the text tells us is this. It tells us to not get sidetracked and to make sure we stay focused like a soldier. Look, look at the text, verse 3. Here's what it says. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather he tries to please his commanding officer. He's saying, don't get sidetracked. Many of you were in, in the military. You went to boot camp. What happens when you get sidetracked? It doesn't go well. It's a little thing called push-ups or running or other physical ventures. So what do you do? You learn to be focused. You learn to stare straight ahead, to not move, to say yes, sir, no, sir, to do exactly what they tell you to do. Why? Because you understand what's at stake. They're trying to equip you for war. They're trying to make you ready. I think many of us forget that we are actually at war. This is war but we're far too comfortable. And we get sidetracked. We get, we get sidetracked by our hobbies. We get sidetracked by Netflix. We get sidetracked by work. We get sidetracked by excuses. We get sidetracked by, by our struggles and by laziness, by money, and who knows whatever else, simply by the pursuit of the American dream. And Paul says, don't get sidetracked. Don't get sidetracked from the need to have spiritual conversations. To have spiritual conversations with your children and with your coworkers. To have spiritual conversations with the people around you. Do not lose track. This is imperative. 
If we lose track, we begin to lose the war. Don't get sidetracked. We need to be focused. You know, I like to ride motorcycles, and some of you like to ride motorcycles as well, but what I found is that when I'm zipping around, see, this is new to me. We don't, we don't have mountains where I came from. Yeah, you ride across Kansas, you curve twice <laughs> in 600 miles. You think I'm joking. I'm not. What I found here is that if I'm riding my motorcycle heading down to Montrose or wherever I'm going, if I let my mind begin to wander and I start thinking about all sorts of things, you know what happens? I forget that curve up ahead. And I find myself on the line. And it's not good. Some of you just decided you need to pray for me. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. I think the same thing happens don't, don't miss what God has called you to. He has brought you into the best thing you could ever do. You could have an impact on other people. Don't lose focus. Second, don't cut corners. Be like an athlete. Look at what he says. 2 Timothy 2 verse 5. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the, worker, the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Listen, when we start overlooking things in our own lives and we start overlooking them in others and we don't have spiritual conversations about them, we start to drift. Don't overlook what's going on in your life. And don't overlook what God is showing you in others' lives. Don't cut corners. Third, we need to be patient and enjoy the fruit. Be like a farmer. Verse 6. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Notice a couple things. The, the farmer works hard. He works day and night. And the farmer has to plant the seed and he has to wait for it to begin to germinate. He has to wait for it to come up. He has to pray for rain. He has to till the soil. He has to get rid of the weeds. I mean, he's got to do all kinds of things. But one of the main things he has to do is he has to trust that God will cause it to grow. He has to wait. If you're investing in your children, <laughs> you want to talk about patience. If you're investing in a co-worker and they want nothing to do with it, you want to talk about patience. If you're investing in a spouse who doesn't yet know Jesus, you want to talk about patience. This is what we're called to. It takes time. So let me just simplify what I'm asking you to do, what I'm calling you to as your next step. Here's what it is. Start a habit of having spiritual conversations. Practice here. Practice here. here. Here's how you can practice. Here's some questions. I'll just, if you don't write anything else down, write these three questions down and take them away with you today, okay? Ask these three, you can start using these three questions. Number one, ask, what has God been teaching you lately? Ask your spouse that. Ask your boyfriend. Ask your girlfriend that. Ask, your, ask the person who brought you. Ask your kids, what has God been, been teaching you lately? Why not ask them, and why not call them to expect God to be teaching them, right? Say, well, my kid doesn't talk. Okay, I get it. They will soon, and then they won't stop. 
So have good conversations. Ask what God has been teaching you. Second, you know, there's, there's another question you can ask. You can ask, is there an area of your life that you're really struggling in? That's what my friend Jason used to ask me all the time, and I hated it because I knew what I needed to talk about and I didn't want to, and you're probably the same, but when we start talking about it, you know what I've found? It releases the grip of it. And I don't have to be controlled by it anymore. Why not ask? Third, why not ask, what can I do to help you spiritually? Or, how can I pray for you? Because see, Paul told Timothy to invest in others who are reliable and to teach them God's word. And this is one of the best ways that you can open up doors so that you can begin to say, hey, how can I pray for you? Cool, man, you know, I love what God's word has to say about this. Let's hold each other accountable. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen if you and I chose to talk to someone this week. Let me leave you with this. Almost 20 years ago, I was doing an internship in a church in Alton, Illinois. I was 21 years old. And there was a young kid who was about 15. His name was Jeremy. He was tall and lanky and weird. Okay? And we became friends. And then I continued on. I kept going in my life. And we ended up in Kansas City and pastoring there. And I would message back and forth with Jeremy every now and then. Just ask him how he's doing. He went to Bible college. He went to seminary. He ended up going and spending a couple years in South Africa, serving as a missionary there. And then one day, I, I got a, a, a message from him. And he said, hey, I'm coming back to the States. I'm really wanting to partner with a growing church. Um, could you hire me? And my response was this. I have an unpaid internship. How does that sound? <laughs> and for some weird reason, he decided to come. He started learning alongside us. He was growing like a weed, soaking it all up. And eventually we hired him to be our youth pastor at, at the church that I used to be involved in. And you want to know what the most amazing part of it all was? It's this. He started pouring into my son. Somebody who I started pouring into 20 years ago. Somebody who I started having spiritual conversations with 20 years ago. Started pouring into my 14-year-old. So that he would love Jesus more. I share that with you because the conversations that you are having right now, they're bigger than you. What if you started having spiritual conversations? I believe God would use you. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for the fact that you've been good to us and that you have made a significant impact through Jesus. And we now have hope. We now have peace with you because of Jesus. 
But God, I pray that we wouldn't be content for us to just have that. I pray that we wouldn't just be people who just take it in, but instead we'd be like, like my grandma Weir. We would be people who would pass those lessons on and have spiritual conversations so that we'd be able to impact others. God, thank you. I pray that we'd be able to see you work in a powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray.